Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Often, when we look around us at the bad things that happen to others, we look to explain why. In the third installment of Missing the Point, Jesus explains his purpose for us is to turn to him to live the life he has for us, instead of focusing on finding reasons that keep us from living that life out faithfully. When I was a kid, I shouldn't say kid, when I was a teenager, I learned the amazing art of sarcasm. Yeah, my mom's here today. Mom, this involves you, actually. So, uh, so I, I would learn sarcasm, and um, sometimes mom and I would, would, would tease each other. We would go back and forth, like, say... Mom misspoke something, and I was like, oh, Mom. You know know what? Teenagers do that, right? I mean, you give your parents a little bit of a hard time and that kind of a deal. And so we would spar back and forth a little bit in our sarcasm and things like that because my mom was never sarcastic back. (laughs) Notice, see the sarcasm? I've got it. Uh, (laughs) And as we'd, we'd trade teasing, you know, we'd tease each other and things like that, I would, of course, be so focused on what I was going to say next, right? And, and you, you see me every single Sunday. I move. I move places. I, I don't stay in one spot and things like that. And so, say we'd be in the kitchen and things like that, and I'd be talking, and I'd be moving, and I wouldn't be paying attention to where I was. And in the midst of all this, teasing my mom, I would stub my toe or bite my lip or get my cheek. You know what I mean? You're just, you, you have this clumsy moment. And my mom, she would go to me, see, the Lord's getting you for being mean to your mother. <laughs> she still says this to this day whenever we do this. <laughs> and it's funny, right? Because even though what I was saying to her was totally unjust, it was all in fun. I wasn't meaning any of it or anything of that nature. The reality of it was me saying those things had nothing to do with me stubbing the toe. It had to do with me being clumsy, right? But, let's really be honest, what she's joked about is something that a lot of us hold as a a worldview. A lot of us hold this worldview that if you are doing the wrong thing, something bad might happen to you, right? Bad things happen to bad people, right? No, we do. We, We like to think that. We do. We really like to believe this. And I think it comes from a number of things, right? It comes from uh, you, you, you reap what you sow, right? You know, your actions lead to something like that. But the reality of our, our time together was, it wasn't because I was being mean. It's because I wasn't paying attention to where my toe was, right? We like to think, though, that's how the world works. We like to think that, you know, if I just do good, good things will happen. If I'm doing the wrong things, then the bad things are going to happen to me, right? And this comes, you don't even have to be religious to believe this. A lot of people mistakenly call this karma. It's not actually what karma is, but people, karma's like that. That's what you get. Mm-hmm. Got ya. Karma's different than that, officially in a religious sense. But they call it that. Or, you know, but even the religious folks hold on to this quite a bit. People who believe in God, who believe in Jesus, believe this concept. And it comes out in ways that uh, is not good. 
comes out in ways like, for example, uh, when a natural disaster happens. If you remember, you know, 2008 when Hurricane Katrina hit New Orleans, I remember a religious leader going on television and saying, that's what they get for being so immoral down there. God is bringing his wrath to those bad people down in New Orleans. People would blame the Vegas shooting a few years ago because it was Sin City, right? Now, aside from religious leaders, we sometimes think of it in ways, and it's sort of, we don't realize that we, we, we believe this. But it's, it comes out in the form of, well, maybe he shouldn't, have been a part, he, he shouldn't have been in that part of town that time of night. Otherwise, he wouldn't have got shot even though that person might not have been doing anything wrong at all. Maybe he was helping somebody in a way, right? Or maybe sometimes we go, when somebody comes forward and talking about sexual abuse, we say, why didn't they come forward as soon as it happened? We blame the person who has been a victim of something for what has happened to them, even though they did not do anything wrong. This worldview is so pervasive, and, it, and it's, it's, it's not just a Christian thing. Every, a lot of people believe this. And if you take it to the nth degree, you might come to the point of saying, well, God is just a mean God, hanging out upstairs, waiting for us to trip and fall so he can send wrath upon our way, right? He's waiting. He's waiting for you to mess up. He's waiting for you to say the wrong thing to your kids, parents. He's waiting for you, parents, or, or, or for you to, 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 you know, trip up while you're home alone and you get tempted to do something, to send the bad thing your way. And believe it or not, when people came to Jesus and Jesus was teaching, they had this same worldview. They had this same worldview. And so today, as we continue our series, Missing the Point, a series that is completely based around people missing who God was, what God does, what God is about, we're going to, we're going to experience this kind of missing the point in, in the passage today. But at the same time, if you have ever thought that way, and I know every single one of us has, every single one of us has, Maybe, just maybe, we've been missing the point. Maybe we've been missing the point that God has had for us. Maybe God doesn't want us to be able to explain and have a reason for every little thing that happens to other people. Maybe not. But I know a lot of people who come to God come with this thought process of, well, if I believe in God, I'll be able to explain everything. I think that might be missing the point. So we're going to turn in our scriptures today to Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. And I want to share with you really simply the context that this, this passage is in. It will be up on the screen, of course. Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. But Jesus, beginning in chapter 12, verse 1, is, has a crowd around him. A big group of people all around him. And it's really weird, if you read 12.1 all the way up to this passage, you'll notice something. Jesus is almost like ignoring the crowd. It's really sort of a weird thing. Jesus, they have all these crowds around, and they'll like throw a question his way, and he'll answer it nicely. But then he'll go and he'll talk to his disciples, 
It's like, why is he just talking to his disciples? Why isn't he talking to everybody when he has a crowd? It's, it's just a really weird thing. But every single time somebody interjects something, he kindly and lovingly answers. And so in the midst of this, this crowd, some people in the crowd brought some recent news stories. And they're looking for him to make sense of it. It's very much why so many people watch their cable news network of choice. What does this news mean? Right? Very, very similar to what we do today. And he brings forth, they bring forth this, this terrible news. I mean, it's, it's really bad news. And Jesus, Jesus' response is weird. It's weird. But he's showing them how they are missing the point. So Luke chapter 13, beginning with verse 1. Some who were present on that occasion told Jesus about the Galileans whom Pilate had killed while they were offering sacrifices. He replied, do you think the suffering of these Galileans prove, proves that they were more sinful than all the other Galileans? No, I tell you. But unless you change your heart and lives, you will die just as they did. And what about those 12 people who were killed when the Tower of Siloam fell on them? Do you think that they were more guilty of wrongdoing than everyone else who lives in Jerusalem? No, I tell you. But unless you change your heart and lives, you will die just as they did. The weird thing about it is that these folks bring this newsworthy thing that Pilate, the Roman, the, the Roman overseer of, of, of Israel or the Jews in that area of Galilee, basically went into, a, went, went into a religious time and killed some Jews. And this is terrible. I mean, this is, I mean, this is terrible. This is very much what you and I see whenever we see what happened in New Zealand. It's what we see what happened in, in South Carolina. It's what we see across the, the world when people are killed for their faith. And the reason why Pilate did this is because his job was to make sure that revolution would not occur. Because you have to understand that Jews in this day were peasants. They were not rich. They did not have power. They were sick, though, of this. They were sick of being stepped on by Rome all the time. And you have to realize that throughout all of this, through all this tension, leaders would rise up within the people of Israel and they would say, we're going to rebel. And so Pilate's job was to stop rebellion before it happened. And so Pilate goes in and kills these people in cold blood to keep the revolution from happening, to keep them in their place, to keep fear happening amongst all the Jews of that time and day. And so as the people of Israel bring this to Jesus... They are still of the mindset of rebellion. They are still of the mindset of revolution. They are looking for the Messiah to come and dwell among them in such a way that they are going to overthrow Rome. They're going to put Rome in its place and Israel will be established as the country, the, the nation that has power and riches and influence. They will be finally 
out of exile. They thought coming back from exile meant being restored to the world superpower of the ancient world. That's what they were looking for. And so when they bring this to Jesus, they're hoping Jesus is going to say these words. Yeah, Pilate really messed up. Pilate is to blame for this. Rome is to blame for this. And as soon as he would say that, they would take those words and put the blame upon Rome and have reasonings to go be violent and overthrow Rome in the way that they thought they should overthrow Rome. They're, they're looking for Jesus to blame Pilate. They're looking like we look to our news sources to give us the reasons why this bad thing happened. And then Jesus, <laughs> Jesus is, is, is so awesome. He goes, he doesn't even talk about Pilate. And he brings up another common thought process. Do you think that they died because they sinned more than others? Do you think that they were bad and bad things happened to bad people? All of a sudden, like Jesus like, where is he going? This has nothing to do with Pilate. This is, why is he going about this? And then he goes, he goes, no, no, no. Believe it or not, bad things don't necessarily happen to bad people. God does not incur wrath on you just because you have done a sin, just because you have done wrong. You have plenty of other people that will do bad things to you. You don't need to worry about God. And he says this, unless you change your hearts and lives, you will die just as they did. Jesus, that's not what we asked for. Jesus, we asked for you to tell us why this happened. We, we, need, we need to know. Why did this happen? Give us the reasons. Give us what we need to do next. Give us reason to go and rebel. Give us reason to stay completely separated from the situation and say, yeah, that's sad. They must have just been sinning. And then Jesus brings in a completely different situation where people don't die because of somebody else's actions. They die because it's a freak accident. The tower at Siloam was apparently old and it fell down. You know, you, there's freak accidents that happen in the world, right? They fell and killed people. And then he said the same exact thing. Uh, no, it's not because they were more sinful than other people. But change your hearts and lives, or you will die just as they did. <laughs> the two worldviews that he is refuting is this. That Jesus is here as a nationalistic Messiah to violently overthrow Rome. And the other mindset that he is refuting is bad things happen to bad people. And instead, he turns and he says to them, change your heart and lives. Now, we're spoiled right now. We're spoiled by our, our translation that we have here. Usually, if you read scripture, you're seeing the word repent. Repent. He's saying, repent. 
basically Jesus has totally undermined what everybody was thinking and comes forward to share a prophetic word with the people who is among them. He is here to be a prophet to the nation of Israel as much as sharing truth with the rest of us. As N.T. Wright puts it in this manner, Jesus was acting, Jesus was acting as a prophet of Jewish, rest, Jewish restoration, speaking on behalf of Israel's God, summoning the nation in view of impending judgment to repent of its nationalist violence and offering to all those who did so, who did so the promise that they would emerge as the vindicated people of Israel's God. Those who refused, by contrast, would face with the devastating judgment in the form of national disaster. Death. That's why he says, change your heart and lives or you will suffer the same fate as these others who have died already. He moves from providing a reason for what happened to these people to say, hey, why don't you think about yourself? Why don't you think about how you yourself is contributing to the tension of this world? Why don't you look at yourself and tell me, are you really, really repentant? Are you really following and being faithful to the God who called you to be faithful to him? Are you really repenting? How many of you are, have been in the church before and you've heard the word repentance? Yeah? How many of you have heard repentance as the moment that you come and you turn to God and ask for forgiveness of your sins? How many of you have heard that before, right? I got something to tell you. It's bigger than that. Repentance is not just about asking for forgiveness. Because i got to tell you something. Israel asked for forgiveness time and 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 time so many times. Because Israel constantly would think that they were doing God's will by doing what they wanted. Constantly. So if Jesus, if Jesus' meaning of repentance is just ask for forgiveness, I don't know if that's really what he's really going for here. Because guess what? They have been asking for forgiveness time and time again. For the moments that they took advantage of other nations. For the moments that they, they did not take care of the least of these. For the moments that they were not faithful to God. That they were not faithful to be holy people led by a holy God. Now, Jesus' message as, as a prophetic word is repent. And literally, as our translation says, change your heart and lives. Repentance is asking for forgiveness, but also turning. Turning to God and saying, what you want, I will do. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. 
everything that I do, everything that I say, everything that I think, everything that I feel, everything is turned to you. And I trust you so much that I live out my life focused on you for everything. That is what repentance is, friends. So what Jesus does is he shares what a repentant person looks like. And he shares it with a parable. Hear this parable that Jesus says in verse 6. Jesus told this parable. A man owned a fig tree planted in his vineyard. He came looking for fruit on it and found none. And he said to his gardener, Look, I've come for fruit on this fig tree for the past three years, and I have never found any. Cut it down! Why should it continue depleting the soil's nutrients? And the gardener responded, Lord, give it one more year, and I will dig around it and give it fertilizer. Maybe it will produce fruit next year. If not, then you can cut it down. Jesus is trying to show what a repentant person really begins to be. And he uses it with the parable of the fig tree. Now, how many of you have ever seen a fig tree before? Yeah, they don't grow in Ohio. Uh, probably because Ohio is a wasteland for six months of the year. Uh, <laughs> all right, five and a half. Um, but yeah, fig trees... You ever had a fig Newton before? Oh, yeah, now you know. You're not talking about, yeah, those are figs, right? They bear fruit, okay? But fig trees were beautiful trees. They didn't just bear fruit. They were beautiful. They had these beautiful flowers on them, and they looked great. This is a clarifying word from the pastor. I misspoke in regards to fig trees. Fig trees actually do not have flowers. The fruit themselves are an inverted flower. Actually, what happens with a fig tree is that the leaves change colors before they bear fruit. And so the thought process is, is that the, the audience would understand that this fig tree would go through this show of changing their colors before bearing fruit. And of course, the weird part about the parable is the fruit never came. And basically what Jesus is saying is, hey, people of Israel, y'all think you look great, but you're not doing what you have been called to do. You are not acting like you, you are not acting like you are my people. You are not acting like I am your God. You are not acting holy as I, your God, is holy. You are not showing that your focus is on me the one true God, the one who has saved you and has raised you for a new life. And you know what? A time is coming like a vineyard owner would do where we're going to cut down the tree because you are not living into the identity. You are not living into the purpose I have for you. And what's beautiful about Jesus is that he, he leaves it open-ended. <laughs> have you ever noticed that Jesus has a lot of open-ended parables? You're like, wait a minute, what's, what's the ending? 
Because we never find out if the fig tree actually gets chopped down or not, do we? But he leaves it open and says, wait a minute, maybe, maybe just another year. Give him one more chance. God is still the God of mercy, even in the midst of judging where we are. And so what Jesus is trying to do in this entire scene, in this entire passage, is to call the people away from the things that they think God is about, that they want God to be about, and calling them to true repentance. He's calling them away from trying to fit God into a box. He's trying to get them away from thinking that they have everything figured out just because they are God's people. He's saying, that doesn't matter. Look at your own heart and lives. Have you indeed repented yourself? Now for you and I, you're like, well, good thing that Jesus was talking to Israel in this passage, right? Whew! We, we dodged that bullet, right? No. In, in reality, if we believe in Jesus, if we, if we really truly believe that Jesus came and died and rose again from the grave so that you and I would be forgiven of our sins and that we would be raised to new life, a life that's holy, a life that is faithful to him, then this message is also to us. And for those of us who, who might be here for the first time and, and you've never believed in Jesus, and you're saying, I've experienced people who say they believe in God before, and they don't seem very repentant. They don't seem very loving. They don't seem very Christian. Well, I'm here to tell you that this is all a journey. All of us are on this journey together. There are moments that we try to fit God into our boxes. But Jesus freed us from that. Jesus freed us to say, hey, I'm not here to tell you the reasonings for every little thing. You probably know what the reasons are already. It's probably the fact that your hearts and your lives do not reflect what I have called you to be, and that is to be fully human. My creation. My creation called to steward and love. My creation to love me and love our neighbor. And so the reality of it is, friends, if you have been a person who may have come to know God for some reasons like, maybe I'll just have answers. Maybe I'll just get answers if I follow God. If, you, if you've come to God and, and, and you've thought, well, maybe, just maybe, I can find God proving my own worldview already. Which a lot of us do. A lot of people like to do that. Maybe, maybe you've come to God thinking, I just need forgiveness, and I need to feel better. 
any of those defines our motives for following God? Repent. Change your heart and lives. Because at some point, you have left something behind. You are still turning to something for comfort, for connection, for to, to make you feel better about yourself, to be shown that you're right. You are still turning to things that are not of God. Jesus didn't come so that you would have the answers or so that you would just have forgiveness or so that you would just be able to live the way that you've always lived and then you feel better about it. Repent. Turn your entire life to God. Trust Him. He, the Lord God, is one. He shall be our God and we shall be His people. We shall be holy as the Lord God is holy. Friends, this is what repentance is. Repentance means that we aren't just asking for the forgiveness of sin, but it is to actively move in a new direction of loving God and loving our neighbor. That's what true repentance is, friends. And that's what Jesus was saying to Israel, and that's the same charge He gives to us. If you're so worried, friends, about why the world is the way it is, guess what your focus is on? If you're so worried of finding a reason for why all these bad things happen, we know what your focus is. If you're so consumed with just being in your own little salvation bubble that I don't need to worry about other people, as long as I'm good, I don't need that kind of negativity in my life. I need positivity. Turn to God. We know what your focus is here. It's to remain positive. Jesus died. And that's tough. God is the one who has embraced the messiness of this world and has lifted us to new life. And why wouldn't our focus be on Him and Him alone? So what does this mean for you and me? What does this mean for you and me? I would say this. If you're a person who likes to try to find the reasons for everything in the world, and you're going to start using God's name about it, I'd say, stop. Be careful. Because what comes out of your mouth never comes, or is, is never taken away. If somebody's going through the worst time of their entire lives, if they are in cancer, and, and you say, well, well God, God has you in this season. Oh, boy. I tell you, they're going to run from that God. If you dare to say the words that somebody deserved what was coming to them, ooh, and you incorporate God into that, people will run from that God. 
The reality of it is, is that when we try to explain things, we're trying to make ourselves feel better. We are. And the reality of it is, this is what explaining things does to you, okay? Explaining things... Explaining things away keeps us from loving people who need love the most. Somebody lost all their money. They don't need you to tell, well, you should have paid your bills better. God bless you. No. Explaining things basically allows you to put up a wall and says, well, I've, I've, I've shared the truth here. They know, know what to do. They need love. They need help. That's why Jesus didn't just come out and say all of these teachings. It's why He fed the poor. It's why He clothed the naked. It's why He reached out to people who were on the margins. The more we explain things, the more we put a gap between us and those who are hurting the most. Turn to God. Love Him. And love your neighbor as yourself. There might come a time you can share some things, but in their darkest hour, that's probably not going to help. Because really, let's be honest. When we explain things, we stop believing that all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. We start thinking that my sin's forgiven, and I'm okay, but they're not. It becomes judgment. It becomes judgment, friends, very, very fast. And we all know what Jesus says about judging others, right? Don't judge, for you will be judged. So what Jesus is trying to get us to understand is worry about your faithfulness to God. What are you doing? How are you loving him? How are you loving others? A life in Christ. I have a slide for this one. A life in Christ isn't about having an explanation about the world. It's about loving regardless of what's happening in the world. You and I will not be judged by God if we had all of the reasons right. You and I are not going to be judged if we said if we had the right theology, we're not going to be judged by that. We're going to be judged by how we loved God, remained faithful to him, and began to love our neighbor as ourselves, friends. We will be judged if we use God as a reason to cement our own selfish worldviews. We will be judged if we manipulate people with what God has said through Jesus to get them to do what we want. We will be judged if we make it about containing God and what we think he needs to be. We will be judged if we judge others. But the beautiful thing is, Jesus believes that you and I can change. Turn to him, and he will love you in a way that you've never been loved before and give you the ability to love others like you have never loved before. 
It's not about you. It's, it's always about God. It's not about explaining things away. It's about being upon people in the midst of their difficulties. It's about love. I have a story that I don't know of a personal story, but I know that this story happens every single day in our society. A kid grows up in a violent home. He sees abuse. He himself is abused. The father who treats the mom like she's the worst person in the entire world. Dad drinks constantly. It gets worse on the nights that he drinks. And this boy goes to school. And this boy, well, he does what is normal for him. He treats others like he is treated at home. He treats women like his father treats his mom. He becomes the bully. Nobody likes this kid. Everybody wants to stay away from this kid. Teachers tell other kids to stay away from this kid. Because you're just going to get hurt if you get next to him. And every fight that he gets in cements the belief that he has that violence is the way that the world works. Now, somebody could come up to him and say, I know exactly why you're doing all this. Do you think that's really going to have him change his life? No. But I can tell you that the teacher who spends the extra 10 minutes with him every single day, even though he tries her patience like no other, but shows some positive reinforcement of when he does good, of when he refrains from, from being violent. And then that big brother or that big sister that he goes to after school because his, kid, his parents are working so much, spends time with him, loves him, listens to him, doesn't say condescending things, doesn't beat him up. He's loved. And the way for that boy to change his life, it's not because somebody came up to him and says, I know exactly why you're beating up everybody. You're abused at home, aren't you? Instead, he's loved. He's given time. He's heard. He's watched over. He's discipled. The reality of it is the love that we show to this boy is the best chance for this boy to have a different life. And for you and I, friends, heed that parable. You and I are called to love, to be patient with those who try our patience the most, with those who scare us the most, with those who make us feel uncomfortable, we can love. Sure, there will come a time for that boy to go through some counseling, and he will understand why he is the way he is. But to even get to that point, 
He's got to experience what real love is. So friends, repent. Change your heart and lives to love God and love others as he has called us to love. And maybe, just maybe, we'll see less towers falling and we'll see less violence and we'll see less abuse and we'll see less cheating and stealing and lying and slander. Maybe, just maybe, if we are, take up the way that God has shown us to live, the world would become a better place. That God's will would be done through us. Not to explain it away, but to love. Love as he loves us. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We would love for you to join us on a Sunday morning for our service, which begins at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street, Northwest, in Warren, Ohio. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, please visit us at championnaz.org.